Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cast of Call, where we talk all things related to the Dark Tower series by Stephen King. I'm your co-host, Rachel, and joining me is the other half of my cotet, my buddy, my traveling friend. Like, we are we are going on, on some adventures this year, my friend. <laughs> the one and only DJ. You know, it feels like it's been almost a year since we've had this conversation. <laughs> I, I know, right? You know what? That's crazy. We, I bet you never thought when we became friends 15 years ago that we would ring in a new year together. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it definitely did. wasn't something I thought was going to happen. And, and now it has. Congratulations. Um, for those of you <laughs> who don't know the, uh, the secret sauce, uh, uh, Rachel and her compadre and uh, myself and my compadre uh, all met up to hang out for uh, New Year's Eve. So it, it was a fun experience. Uh, yeah. We got to introduce these guys to a bunch of our local friends here yes. in the Portland metro area and like just kind of get to see the neighborhood and see what yeah. it's about. Up it's here. a great neighborhood. It's a great group of friends. You have quite like a like an eclectic group of friends, which is exactly my kind of people. We had it so much fun. Um, it was a great way to kick off a year, I think. I feel like it's a good sign, right? Like if you literally are on an adventure or spending time with friends when the new year kicks over, like I feel like that's a, a good harbinger of what's to come, you know? I mean, I don't make New Year's resolutions or anything like that, but uh, you know what? Uh, hopefully this year doesn't suck as much as previous years. <laughs> true. Very true. I guess that that's my new resolution is that it will suck less than previous years. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So plan for this episode. We're going to kick off the show with an in-depth conversation about Wolves of the Kala Part 2 Telling Tales. Chapter 8, Took Store, The Unfound Door, and then we'll close out the show with our listener question, because we got some really great answers this time, so that's going to be a lot of fun. All right, but before we do any of that, DJ, this is the part where you give us the spoiler policy. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, before we walk past that door and f fall down into a black hole, <laughs> we will let you know that we are entering the spoiler zone. So don't look into the light, because uh, that's where the messages come from. Mm hmm. <laughs> a really dark listener question which i won't ask is like if you were at the uh the cave of voices at the unfound door what awful thing would you hear oh, <laughs> what no. would be the th <laughs> i won't i won't but i it did occur to me <laughs> could tell you some stories but i don't think i'd want to hear those things so let's mean, uh yeah on. See, mine would just be like embarrassing moments that will stay with me forever. I added a new one to the slideshow when I was like on a press junket this week and I kept calling the person by their last name accidentally. Oh, geez. Yeah. And this person was like, I don't identify by a, as Leonard. I identify as a Joshua. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and he was very sweet and funny about it, but I knew his name. I was just like nervous i guess i don't know oh well whatever see this is this is why i opened this door this i need to unfind this door and close it forever have you okay. ever had that person in your life where you um you had gotten their name wrong for oh, so long no. that you just had to like double embrace. down on it? you have to embrace you just gotta lean in i should have just kept calling him leonard the whole time <laughs> i've been like no i identify you as a leonard <laughs> now you're always leonard to me deal with it bro fuck so dark <laughs> So dark. I was just like, I am mortified. Let's move forward. Uh, all right. So, DJ, where did we last leap off? Um, uh, so we had some dreamscapes and we had some, uh, um, you know, some rats fighting for food. We had Oof. Jake invading dreams. 
you know, uh, we, we have some plates in our, our past. Basically, all of this buildup, we've also had the reveal of, of the robot Andy and um, some plather with some uh, other folks that uh, are probably traitors. Mm-hmm. Um, also, you know, ba- a whole slew of of buildup stuff has happened in the last couple of chapters. And, and this is all um, still not even reached peak yet. Uh, we're dealing with, you know, uh, pregnant Susanna. Um, yeah. And, and the, the gang has slowly sort of drifted apart a little bit. And now finally we get to address it with the characters, not just with Stephen King being like, Hey, here, here I am in the background fussing with you. Um, <laughs> so that dives us right into Jake and Roland hanging out. After basically Roland did this thing where he spread everybody out to these different places and they got to meet different people and so on. And so the gang's slowly getting back together, bringing all that information that they gathered from the older man and, and these other people um, into the fold. And Jake, who we've kind of been following along, knowing that he is concerned about the quartet and what's going on with Roland, finally, finally gets the, the like, moment to talk to Roland about it. And like we get a reveal here, not just that Jake's like got a little bit of the touch, mm-hmm. but that he's got hardcore touch. So um, Roland riding along on his horse, Jake is able to just basically pull old timey words out of his head. And so he's like, I want to speak with you, um, Dom Den or something like that. Don Den. Den, Den. Don Den. Yeah. <laughs> and so Roland's like, well, like taken back by this, like, wait, wait, what? And like, where did you learn that word, Jake? And he's like, oh, you know, I picked it up from you. And then like, he's like, what other words, you know? And like, Jake starts just rattling off a bunch of these mm-hmm. words that he had never heard before. And he's pronouncing them phonetically. But like, of course, that's how he would pronounce them because he's never actually heard them said. He's just reading them out of Roland's mind, which is a super interesting <laughs> reflection on how psychic powers in this world work. Yeah. Um, and then we basically find out that Jake can dig even deeper than that so much so that R- Roland is like, kind of alarmed that he's he's reading that far in like starts to get the uh he he basically knows that like roland has told eddie and like that there's been secrets between the group and and it just turns into this thing and it's extra interesting because that dynamic that we got from the beginning of jake being afraid to talk to roland for basically doubting him would be like a reflection of him being um you know not a good leader Mm -hmm. uh Jake is like worried when he comes to Roland, but Roland is not, doesn't react the way you would think he would. And in fact, at first he thinks like, surely this boy doesn't have like a lover or something he needs help with. (laughs) Yeah. Because we find out that uh, Dan Din is usually what you would do not to ask just a challenging question, but to actually like, Hey, um, you know, uh, (laughs) um, I I fell in love with this person. What do I do with this person? (laughs) Like, and and there's no one for that to happen with Jake for it. So that whole situation uh, unravels into basically Jake being like, well, what are we supposed to do about this? And, uh, you know, <laughs> um, Roland, like, basically capitulates and turns it around on Jake and is like, well, really, man, I, I don't know what to do. And I learned about Ka from my father and when you don't know what to do with Ka, you just got to, like, let it stay the course and and see what happens. And, like, he's like, well, okay, well, maybe you, Jake, should do this. You know, you got these psychic powers. Why don't you look in on Susanna and, like, 
<laughs> dip into that well once every uh, week or once every day or whatever and tell us what you see. And it's it's like, well, wait a minute. Like Jake came to him with like a, I, I doubt your plan, but hopefully you got a good one. Roland came back to him with like, I don't actually have a plan. How about you have a plan? Yeah. Yep. Yep. He is a very skilled manipulator here. And you see it and it's, you know, it's one of the reasons that he's so effective in, in what he does is like you see that there is there is a part of Roland that is pretty sociopathic and it links in with his ability to so deftly manipulate people. Um, but yeah, it, this is a really interesting conversation. I mean, it, even from the very beginning, when Jake approaches Roland or they're like riding along quietly and Roland can tell something's on Jake's mind, but he doesn't know what it is, which is like already evidence of what when they go to talk about this, it it it's it um supports what what Jake is about to say to him about, you know, that the cotet is broken because there's a time where he would have intuited what's going on with him because they were so connected. Um and, you know, it's less it's affecting Jake less cuz like you said he's so much more powerful now in the touch and it, Roland realizes it was basically his contact with the rose that like spending time with the rose had really increased his powers mm -hmm. and he's nervous about it but you see right away he also is like how do i utilize this to my advantage like these you have to think about this is family this is like the closest people to them they had like a psychic connection at one point and still he's still like well i can use this to my advantage and does it make sense sure i mean of course being able to have that kind of insight into susanna is is really great but what we also learn is that jake is aware of these powers that he has but he has really kind of developed this moral code around it and has a very strong sense of what's right and wrong in using it he doesn't want to be peeping in people's minds without their permission like that feels like that lack of consent like without putting it in so many words is a violation to to do that without consent um and roland essentially pushes him past his comfort level with that and sort of insists so like He's violating one of his content members who granted, you know, is potentially very dangerous, but he's doing it by also violating like this child whose innocence he was so concerned with protecting just a few chapters ago, like watching him with like the young Benny Slightman, you know, he was like, oh, look at him being a child. And here he goes. He's like, well, you're a man now because I need to be able to utilize the skill that you have. It's, it's hard to, this is a tough Roland chapter for me because i feel like he's making a lot of the same mistakes he's made in the past he's repeating patterns that he did with his old quartet and we saw how that turned out so well he does concede a little bit so in the, in the moment he you know he's like you know you didn't choose to be here you didn't choose to do this this is like what is happening to us and we have to respond so like th that's sort of a concession where like mm. there could have been no concession at all and like mm. um, maybe a mealy mouth <laughs> apology, like, sorry, I threw you off a cliff last time. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we'll get there because I mean, it, I think it speaks to how much their relationship has taken a step back and like disconnected that the conversation has turned to him dying again. Like it felt like they had really made a lot of progress in their relationship and developing that trust and that connection. And like it's coming up again and Roland's response was not like the warmest like he could he almost said too much when he was just like I'd be better you know essentially I'd be better off on my own, which is again evidence that Roland is like taking these steps back and making these same mistakes because this is exactly the kind of thing he did 
in Calbrin Sturges, where he would like keep these not Calbrin Sturges, sorry, Magus. Mm-hmm. He would he like played stuff so close to the chest that it broke the quartet that he had originally. And he's doing some of that again here. And that's what I'm saying. Like I feel like he's regressing a little bit in a way that is very frustrating. Yeah, but well, I, I agree with you to an extent, but at the previous time it was like because he's, he's taken a lover. And like now it's yeah. like because he's lost and doesn't know what to do. And those are, I feel like, maybe I'm wrong, but it feels like that's a different motivation than the previous time. Hmm. Or am I'm kind of with Jake that he's, it's a cop out, but you, you know what? That's fine. Like, that's <laughs> my interpretation. I don't know that it, one is right or wrong. Well, you know? no, I guess you're right. Jake does say like, or internal dialogue is like, that feels like a cop out to me. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. The other thing is, is he obviously confronts Roland about Susanna and it's interesting I think how he does it because instead of asking him you know like do you know what's going on and like kind of leaving an out for Roland he starts it by saying like where's the castle like basically asserting that he has knowledge so there's no point in Roland denying it Mm -hmm. and it lets Roland know unequivocally that he knows so don't lie to me but it also kind of tests Roland's knowledge about the Mia situation you know how he responds will reveal just how much he knows which I think is a very smart and sophisticated way for 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 Jake to approach a conversation like this Hmm. yeah you know I hadn't thought about it like that that's a I wasn't thinking about it from the sophistication of Jake. I was actually thinking of it, <laughs> about it from like more of like him, like falling into like a argument trap where Roland just wins automatically. Yeah. I mean, that's ultimately what happens, but uh, you know, because Roland is the more skilled manipulator here, but mm-hmm. I do think also the other thing that really stood out to me is that King takes a moment to take note uh, like of sort of a geographic um, information bit of information which i think is incredibly telling that this is taking this conversation is taking place very nearby where the battle where the where the the last battle where the wolves took place oh yeah you're right because he does mention that um just over there you know like that was where what's her name killed the wolf you know Mm -hmm. and it really kind of sets the stage of like this is a place where people come to battle right this is a place where there's confrontation or battle or you know in this case like two friends and former contact members communicating like it doesn't it doesn't feel like a communication it feels like a fight um and we, i don't know that we've ever seen jake and roland fight before like this where like you can feel the temperatures raising and them almost saying things that they can't take back mm-hmm. um and i think that's very telling um let's see what else we kind of scooted through this let me see if there's anything um the other thing though i think that is also kind of interesting and that he's jake is so upset with roland uh that he's keeping secrets but jake keeps a secret too when roland asks him like what is troubling you he phrases it in a way that there is like room for interpretation that allows jake to duck out of talking about what's happening with benny the slightman the elder and um andy and so he keeps something back as well and i think i didn't think about that that's a good catch yeah, and to me, that's just evidence of the fact that, like, that trust is clearly broken between them, you know, like, that he's feeling that in their, like, the vibe of their dynamic is that he needs to hold something back, mm-hmm. um, and it's just more proof of what he's saying, that the quartet is broken. Hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, uh, so the other thing, um, Jake did see the full castle, Roland has followed her around to a swamp and like just seen her do regular outdoorsy stuff. Mm -hmm. And 
how did you feel about Roland's um, explanation that, uh, uh, you know, like she's probably imagining her favorite castle and not really having the insight that Jake did? Do you think he felt a deficit there? I mean, I think it answers a question that we've been having of like, is he she going somewhere? Is there something multiversal universal happening or is this just something that's in her head? And so that was sort of my takeaway. It was like, oh, OK, so we've definitively decided she's actually just and she's conjuring these visuals mentally to cover yeah. to maybe like protect Su- like the part of Susanna that is there subconsciously from seeing what she's actually needing to do, not only to like, you know, cause it's gross, but like what it says about the baby, mm-hmm. but she needs to do these things in order to feed it and to help it to quote unquote become, I mean that, but what about you? Hmm. I, yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I thought I had a, a point to make about this. And then like, now that you've talked about it, I'm like, I don't know. If oh I, no. I don't know if that, <laughs> if I have anything, like I, I was going somewhere with it, and then I realized, well, like, let's well, let's go there. That... Let's go there. What What did you think? What was well, your interpretation? So, at first, I okay. So, at first, I thought like Roland knew because when we got that description previously of her like for special plates and like digging around the swamp and stuff, like Stephen King painted it in such a way that it almost felt like Roland saw through the veil a bit. Mm-hmm. And knew what was going on. But then in this take, we we got it sort of like you were saying the opposite, where it's like he's actually getting tested by Jake to see if like how much he actually realizes is going on. And like it feels like in that context, Jake knows more than Roland. But like in the previous context, I would have thought that Roland actually um saw about the same thing as Jake if you'd mm. you'd asked me before this. So then when you unpack that, like, well, you know, uh Jake's got like his own secrets too, then I'm like, well, yeah maybe Roland was just kind of like best guessing it, but didn't really have this I mean, insight that I thought he had previously. I think that that's probably true to some extent. Cause I don't like, we know that Jake ha- is especially gifted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and he even mentions like he's more gifted than um, what was it? Uh, or Elaine. Elaine. Yeah. 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 Uh-huh. uh-huh. Which is like, uh, you know, I, I assume that is the like most psychic of psychic people that Roland has known previously. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, yeah, I don't know, but like he clearly had a lot of power or cause Roland is like, Whoa, about Jake. Oh, I forgot. Oh yeah. Um, well this isn't in the section, but magic bag. Yes. Mm-hmm. Pretty yes. Awesome. It is pretty cool, man. We have, I see four stars on both of these. Did we cover everything? We did. We did. Okay, cool. I, uh, I knew I bounced around a lot, but I was just kind of like excited to talk about the, all the different <laughs> little bits. I mean, it's a good conversation. Like if you like to get into the dy- relationship dynamics and the psychology of stuff, like this is a very, these were two very juicy sections. It's not normally my thing. <laughs> right. It's normally your thing, but like, but do you feel like you're moving in my direction? The more we talk about uh, <laughs> some of these, I do some of it. It's actually more that, um, some emotional dynamics are less interesting to me than others. That's like fair. a psychic kid being <laughs> able to like, um, you know, read a gunslinger's mind is a little cooler than like the romantic uh, um, flailings of, you know, Susanna and Eddie as they like slowly yeah. fall in love. Like Brr. it's a uh, sort of um, maybe I'm just a stereotyped dude, but it's like, you know, mm-hmm. action psychic is awesome. Like love psychic is sort of boring. That's super fair because I'm I'm but I also am such a husk. Like I had I'm not a romantic. Oh, okay. <laughs> so <laughs> don't don't 
I'm not a good barometer is what I'm saying. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so the the reason I actually, I started thinking about that is I finally read some of our um, iTunes reviews and I was like, Oh yeah. Um, someone was like, uh, you know, Rachel's great, but DJ just doesn't feel like he loves the story. Oh, I was like, no. oh man, no, that's not the case. But then that's... I realized, like, they probably jumped in on one of the sections where I was like, ah, yeah, that's one of these that. chapters again. I also feel like, and this is true, like in any of the podcasts that I like, kind of heap criticism on. Like, there's how I feel about it just in the experience, and how I talk about it when I'm in the place where I'm being critical. Like, you know what I mean? I think it's very different. I will have, I can enjoy the crap out of something and still see its flaws. And if we're in a situation where we're talking about flaws, it's going to sound like I like it less than I actually do. And I think that's fair. I think that's totally fair. You love these books, or you would not be doing this for a little oh, yeah. years with me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like, we have a I'm long way to go. I'm not that much fun to hang out with. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so bringing it back around, like basically yeah. we, we fin up, finish up with this epic conversation and then these guys roll into the ranch and just the night before, this is the ranch where um, uh, Mia was out on the prowl and mm-hmm. we kind of get like this, we get this back picture um, of, of a pig, a baby pig be, being missing and then we find out that there's these, I guess, um, mutant uh, like pack of wild dogs or something. And they're not just mutant, but they're also mute. Like they're missing their vocal cords. And so they blame it on that. And they also like, we get a description of this giant rat that has his head torn off. And this, this is also like, well, they didn't do all bad. At least they tore that rat, rat up. Okay. Mm-hmm. And like, that's a weird thing. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, the other perspective we get is like basically Eddie being mm-hmm. like, well, you know, that's not so bad, I guess. Like, at least she cleaned up after herself. <laughs> like, she yeah. didn't need to eat a child. And, like, it's him wrestling with this uh, internal fight of, like, whether that's, um, you know, like, this is as bad as it actually is mm-hmm. or whether he's, like, sugarcoating something that is actually pretty awful. Yeah, uh, it's the morning and now he's rationalizing. Yeah, like, exactly. And- <laughs> oh, no, that couldn't be. But like it's him really trying to like avoid the reality that maybe not Susanna, but Mia could eat a child. Yeah, yeah. And that's mm-hmm. that's super weird for Eddie. Um, and then we also get this moment, too, where uh, as uh, Roland and um, Jake kind of get to the, the ranch, um, I forget what his wife's name is. Um, Zalia is standing there and like Roland asks her the question and everybody there is like, Oh, this Ooh. is it. This is, this is the question. <laughs> this is the, like when we got the, I will ask the town, you know, three questions. Um, this is one of them. And like, he's like, well, you know, will you be ready to throw your plate when I, I need you to. Mm-hmm. And she like looks at him and says yes. And her husband walks up just in that moment, like beat up from a hard days of working in the field and realizes that his wife is committed to the thing that he was um, passionate about in the beginning. And like, you get this like weird romantic moment of like farmer hug love. And then like Mm -hmm. everybody kind of realizing that the decision wasn't made by these fancy rich farmers across the way. It was, it was just made by like regular people out working in the fields, doing Mm -hmm. their normal lives. And it's extra special because she is also the daughter of one of the, the Manny families. So that is a, a like a Mm-mm. no, 
Is, oh, wrong person? Wrong person, but yeah. Son of a gun! The one that showed him the Oriza in like two chapters ago is the daughter of Henshaw. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. That's no my worries. my bad then. Um, Man, all these farmers' wives, they just look I the know. They're blending. They're blending. Um, So yeah, yeah, that's another like pretty interesting moment. And then... Um, then we get like this, uh, this, this bag, this mysterious bag where okay. like Roland is able to shake out money. And what was the name of the bag? It's like the everything bag or the it's collector? A grow bag, the, the grow bag. Yeah. yeah. And, and when the gang looks at it, like we get an idea of actually how long Roland's journey has been. Yeah. And they're like, that bag has to be hundreds of years old. Mm-hmm. And it's like, holy shit, this is the first time we've gotten some numbers yeah. tossed at our Roland's age. And like Roland explains that he used to have a lot of magic around him. And like now he just has a few bits and pieces. And yeah. this grow bag is like one of the few things he has left. And like what we find out is the bag over time will just randomly fill up. Mm-hmm. And so he was able to dump some like jewels and some gold and some like basically what you would need to, to have his tender currency in that area out of this bag and i don't know about you but when we got to this point that was just like i well it's like that reminder of like oh right this is also a fantasy series because we've been getting a lot of like sci-fi things with andy and of course western things with them like riding into town and helping the town folk and you're like oh right 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 this is a magical world gotta 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 yeah, and so that's that like completely caught me off guard because it's um, you're <laughs> it's so, so D and D too. You know what I mean? It's like it's so very classically Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, every character carries like you know, <laughs> it's bigger on the inside. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we'll see. Now we're back to sci-fi. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, I, it's just a. It was a really like fun little bit that I mm-hmm. kind of was. I was excited about. And, yeah, and, and then we get this moment where it's like. Um, you guys got business go go bug uh took it took store you know and like it's like oh man that's 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 funny because you know like um he was the the person that we hear at the very beginning that's like you're gonna have to convince him too Mm -hmm. and like uh we don't quite cut to him yet i'll try and do this in order but um but yeah knowing that the gang is gonna go out and basically harass him is fun Um, yeah yeah and, and like hilarity actually doesn't do uh, <laughs> so you've got four is that another four star um i mean i think we covered a little bit of it but i will say i do think i want to step back for just a second and talk about some of the things that happened while they were still on the farm okay um you know like you said roland instead of going to the elite of the community he goes to this farmer's wife which in the hierarchy in this kind of community is not exactly the tippity tippity top. Right. Mm -hmm. But I think not only is that the right move because these, like it says textually, like these, this is the heart of the community are these share, like these small hold farms. But I think it also is a reflection, again, a reminder of the, of we saw sort of an amoral gunslinger move in Roland in the previous section, but to a reminder of like who they are, are meant to be like they are meant to be like chivalrous heroes and not like in a creepy way but like in the in like the best intended way so to come to the someone who was lower on the social like the social order speaks to the fact that they're not politicians they're not social climbing they're like actually going to the heart of the problem in the heart of the community and that and so that was like a nice reminder to me of who a gunslinger truly is 
Um, and then the other thing, and this one I feel less good about, is he basically says, like, okay, um, I'm going to need you to show Susanna how to throw the plate. And I was just kind of like, why is Susanna getting stuck with the plate? She's the best shot out of her, all of the, like, other than Roland, she's the best shot of the rest of the gunslingers. And is it just because he th- he wants to keep a gun out of her hand? Is it just that he thinks that she's, because she's the best shot, she's the one who's most likely I thought it was to... a feminine thing. Like, well, I thought that's her... what I think, too. I thought Arise's plate is like, so here's my take on this. And I, I picked up on it too, but my pickup was a little bit different. So culturally from the standpoint mm. of this town, it's a Riza. So it's a, it's a woman's heritage slash like rite of passage slash like woman thing mm-hmm. for plate throwing. And so my take on this was that the farmers and small hand ranches would be unlikely to teach a guy how to throw the plate because mm. they that's not their custom that's not their way okay and, and so it's less like i i didn't take it as a um she she can't have a gun because baby time um it was more like well the women of this culture throw the plate and so we need someone who can be versed in both weapons in case we don't have enough guns and so Susanna, congratulations you're gonna learn to throw the plate Okay, I like that a little bit better because I kind of did feel like it was being relegated to her because like based on gender lines, but not in the tradition. Yeah, like I feel a little bit better about it because like I they are diplomats. And so like if it's a not a reflection of like where Susanna's role is in terms of the way Roland thinks of it, as opposed to like, this is the best way to make sure that people get on our side is to embrace their culture to some degree, then like that feels better to me. I like that better. Well, and I mean, okay, so if you if you think about it in the context of like the first wolf being killed, um, the men had these like kind of crappy bars that they were trying to shoot the wolf yeah. with, and the woman has like the best weapon, right? And like you know, if they were actually trying to practically plan, like wouldn't they have taught all the men and all the women how to throw the plate? So no. then it has to be like a very strict custom because you wouldn't go, you wouldn't send three people out two with inferior weapons and one with a superior weapon. Yeah, that feels better. My concern was that like the guns have been so obviously linked to social status within the gunslinger. Community. Oh, that she's getting downgraded. Yes. That was what I was feeling about it, but I, I like your interpretation and I feel much more uncomfortable, more comfortable with your interpretation of it. So I'm just going to go with it. It makes sense. I like it. I feel better. <laughs> well, we also there's there's a moment too where like Roland sort of like ruminates on weapons in general and that gunslingers take to new weapons like, you know, uh, there uh, there's a, a synonym he uses like fish to water type of thing. I don't I don't uh-huh. remember what the exact one is, but but it's like, uh, you know, the, we all tend to pick up new weapons and if uh if for some reason that doesn't work for her, then we'll just have to find something else. And it's like yeah. um that I don't know. I hope I'm my interpretation is the more correct one, but you know, tell us what you think, guys. Because uh, <laughs> <laughs> ooh, if it's the other one, then it's a little, little, little darker. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like it's it feels like unconscious bias, but I do think that there is an interpretation that makes sense that you've laid out that I feel a lot better about. So, all right, that's what I had to say about those sections. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so moving on, um, basically. We send the gang off to Took's store, and uh, Roland gave them their 
their little uh, bits of money. And then Roland head, heads out to meet up with the Manny folk to go find a doorway cave. And this is like a, this is interesting because we start to get a different perspective on um, Shanahan's uh, basically transportation to this world and like what's going on in the background. And we still haven't gotten the whole story of how he got there. But this is sort of like a reveal of where, you know, basically Roland's asking to go see this cave. He knows that there's probably something to do with the um, Black 13 that's there. And the Manny folk are, are the ones who know how to get to these places. So he meets up with the the elderly guy. And even though he's elderly, this guy hustles up a hill without issue. Roland's like dragging a little bit. And this guy's doing great. Um, they get up there. The the story unfolds a little bit and we find out that um, they just barely got the box closed on black 13 before the, this glowing light basically infected them all. And the only one left is the guy who closed the box. The other two people have had, what was it? Heart attacks or strokes? Well, one of the guys, one of them's Callahan and he's still with us. Um, the other, but one of the guys like two years later died of a heart attack. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so you don't really get a picture of what this did to him, but you know, you get the sense that if it has stayed open for any longer, they would have all been dead. Mm -hmm. And then this cave is just the creepiest stuff. Like um, th there's, there's a door just like uh, Roland ran into on the, on the beaches. Um, yeah. And it's just floating there and you hear a noise behind it. And like, if you walk past the door, then it's just a drop straight down into nothing and the cave ends up being this this um whispering nightmarish thing that's talking to you uh you know roland hears the voice of um of the man in black telling him basically he can't he can't succeed and he should give up now and like the screams and cries you know things pass it's it's like a, a dark spot to be in <laughs> And the weird mm. thing is, uh, is I don't know if the Manny guy is like immune to it or if he's just always lived like this. Um, I think he's a, I think he's being stoic and there's like moments where Roland can see like at the end when they're leaving, he uh -huh. can see Hinchick's relief at leaving. OK, like I think OK. He's very good. Like, I think Roland has kind of found, met his match a little bit in Hinchick in some ways. OK, so let me back up. Um, yeah. I, I jumped real far forward right yeah. away because I was excited about the <laughs> yeah. door and the box. And all I was that. like, Ooh. but I <laughs> I need to pull back. So they as they're marching up to this place, they actually kind of sit down they they um they plather they have some food uh roland explains to him that he's um you know he brings a message from his daughter and we get this like spiritual tone from this guy that's like you know matter of factly like oh my daughter's cursed whatever you know <laughs> she'll yeah. she'll she'll get to repent when she's in hell you know <laughs> and it's like it's, damn it's so matter of fact and like and roland like because he i guess he you know he doesn't understand the tradition of the manny in the way that this is spoken is like so so do, you, do i need to go back and tell her that yeah <laughs> and like the guy was not embarrassed the at all to be like, like my daughter is going no. to hell but like he's like taken back that roland would be like do i need to tell her that he's like no oh, she, <laughs> she knows. already knows you know like like everybody would know that you know and, and so it, it's that was why i was asking if you thought he was affected by the door in the cave is because mm. he like he handles this all just fine and then the references that we get from him 
um, I forget what the, the, there's like a spiritual thing that he speaks about. That's like, uh, there's a specific name for it and it's escaping me right now, Rachel, but he's like when they're walking the path and going from, you know, um, where's to where's and, and what have you, he, he has a reference to like, uh, either, is it a, maybe a God's name or something? I can't, I can't remember. Um, um what the heck is, it's called? Yes. Uh, Nar. Nar is it? Okay. Nar. Okay. That's, I think that's the name for hell. Is that what you mean? Uh, so he mentions hell, but then he's also like, there's sort of a thing that you feel when you're going from place to place. And he had a, like a fancy, you know, uh, name for it. It's just, if you can't remember, I, I don't remember either. So it's my bad for you bringing it up. <laughs> should have just like, remember, <laughs> should have just coasted right past it. But, um, but um, yeah, uh, Oh, the let's see here. Tell the that the Margaret of the Red Path clan is that what you mean? No, uh, no, right. no, that okay. was his daughter. His reference to his daughter. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. This was so when they're talking about walking from place to place. He mentions that he feels this normally, but he didn't feel that at all when he's like when he got to where Black Thirteen was. Well, I know he says he feels very dim. But... Maybe. But I don't think that I don't think that's what you're referring to. So I'm so I'm like scanning. I don't say anything. Oh, no, that's fine. Um, re- regardless, the impression you get of this guy is that he's actually like a very stoic religious dude. Yeah. Um, and very like, strong religious convictions. And not just that, but like he also may be in Roland's bar- ballpark in that he may be much older or mm. than we think he is, but also like Maybe. healthy and strong because yeah, I was wondering because Roland is really struggling up this hill and the old man is just like breezing on up. And I yep. wondered how much of that is just he this this old dude has just been up and down this hill and he's just in like great sort of traveling condition. And how much of it is a reflection of what's happening with Roland's body right now? Well, so hold on to that thought for just a second, because right, I, I do right. want to get back to that. But yeah, the, there's a there's a, a moment here where he, when he's, you know, like uh, he refers to the walk as like a, uh, an up, like there's a fancy way of saying uphill, basically. Uh-huh. Upsy? Up, yeah, he's like, this will be an upsy. But um, also when he's talking about, you know, uh, traveling the worlds, like you, you kind of get the impression that um, it's not just uh, um, space, but also time that, it's, that you're bouncing around in. Mm-hmm. And, and so... I wonder if like the Manny age differently because of their walks from world to world. Maybe then uh, regular people. And uh, this is me grasping at straws, but I, I feel like the point of him not sweating and just being like able to just take this hill without issue is actually that, you know, he maybe he's older, but like he has a longer lifespan or maybe mm. he's aged differently. Maybe. And, and the reason I bring that up is because, there are definitely some Stephen King novels that deal with different levels of aging. Mm. And so I was trying to link that to a, another Stephen King novel somehow, but now obviously failing because I've forgotten what? all the subtle details. Which one was it? Was it? I don't know. And, like, and that's why I was like, oh, Rachel will know. <laughs> I mean, like I can think of like thinner, but that's young. That's getting skinnier. Not yeah, not getting. I thought there was like a an an aging one. Or I thought Stephen King, one of his horror uh, books was based around like 
someone aging differently than the other. But maybe Are you thinking of like Benjamin Button. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that ain't Stephen King. <laughs> no, at first I was thinking of um uh what's the David Bowie movie that's also based on the book where like he lives around young people and sucks their life forces away from them somehow. Um thinking of like the hunger where he's a vampire? Yeah, but it's uh, never mind. That, that's just probably my, <laughs> my someone's gonna be sending an email this week and they're like, this is what DJ's talking about. This might just be a, a fever dream, but if you guys know what the hell I'm talking about, that would be <laughs> awesome. I, like a deep part of my brain says that's a thing, but like if Rachel it can't name it. probably is though, and I'm just not thinking of it. It's been a long week. Maybe my brain is dead. Well, I don't know. The problem is too, like there's a lot of um, Stephen King short story stuff that I've breezed through over the years, but I've forgotten if it was right. actually Stephen King or not. Right. You know, um, and then some of it's uh, like the Bachman stuff. Mm-hmm. And like none of that ever sticks in my head quite right as Stephen King, even though it is Stephen King. Yeah. So I often go on these tangents and they're like, I don't see that in his repertoire. And then like, it, I'm, I might've just read another book. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, listeners, if you know what he's talking about, I want to know, send us a message. So anyway, we have the conversation with the daughter we have about the daughter. We have this like very healthy elderly man. We have this like religious <laughs> undertone. And then we, we, find out the, the story about the box and that they'll likely find out even more from Callahan's perspective down the road. And then the last thing we, we get from this is that Roland, as they're leaving the cave, he's like, oh no, I'm sore. And like, we, we don't get a complete reveal of, of what that is, but you realize that whatever has ailed Roland in the past is starting to act back up again. Yeah, and he gets a twinge of pain in his hand for yep, the first and he, time, and he feels mm-hmm. it. And and this is we sort of got a little bit of this with um, uh, what's her name, rubbing rolling down naked, mm-hmm. and now it's like that salve might not be doing it. Yeah, like clearly what's going on in his hip is progressing, mm-hmm. and it's yet another ticking clock. You know, this book is all about time. It's all about running down multiple clocks we've got the things that are happening here we have things that are happening in new york we have the softness of time the way that time froze and then restarted at the beginning of the book like there that is an ongoing story that are you know motif throughout these and so there is yet another clock that's ticking literally inside roland and you get a little reminder that that is winding down Oh, Lord. Okay, so a lot of stuff happened in this section. Um, you know, like we talked about Roland struggling, and that's why I was wondering if this the, those two things were linked, that this was like he maybe he was struggling more than he normally would have because even if he's got this, like, rock cat pee salve on his leg, like, it's still <laughs> a problem, right? Um, and Hinchick and him, as they're walking up, Hinchick asks him kind of an interesting question, which is he wants to know if Roland thinks the world will end in fire or ice. And Roland tells him he thinks that it's going to end in darkness, darkness. which is metal as hell. But I, I know I, I like as soon as I heard that, I just like I it, it I couldn't stop. But just doing like the horns. Real, I was like, I'm squeezing invisible oranges right now. Um, But yeah, so what's interesting is like i think that that's a precursor to something that happens later in the next section where he's talking about like he says darkness and at this point he's still refusing to call roland by his name 
And I think this kind of impacts him because he hasn't told them yet, but you have to think about how like kind of poignant that answer is knowing what Hinchick saw with the, when the door was open and when the box was open, that the thing that he saw was darkness with this like red eye inside. So it's probably terrifying to have Roland kind of re reconfirm this thing that is one of the few things that has ever actually scared Hinchick, even even despite all of his travels. So I thought that was was kind of interesting. Also, like the explicit references to the Crimson King. Like we're we're just talking about him now. No more like fussing around the edges. The Crimson King is a thing, and we're talking about him. And he's like, I have Sauroning everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, they get to the door, and it says uh, like all the other doors. It has some text on it in this case it's the unfound door which is exactly the same sort of hieroglyphs that were on the box that that uh callahan has black 13 in mm-hmm. um there's also, also something uh like isn't the door handle like a crystal it's like or a something? crystal door handle does that yes. have any actual significance because i i almost didn't mention it because i just or well, i didn't mention it because i didn't know what what significance well, the crystal handle has i mean what is a what is a wizard's glass Oh, I guess it's a, okay. So you're saying like a crystal handle for a crystal ball? That's what I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> okay, I um, mean that makes more sense. I didn't even put that two and two together. So, Rachel, you were a sleuth today. Good job. I call me Sherlock Chateau. I don't know. <laughs> um, okay, so the other thing that's kind of cool here is like when they get there, there's like the door, but the, the it reminded me of something else as well, which actually just predated the doors which is that the cave is full of skeletons and he as he's walking around he's like crushing skeletons and it reminded me of at the end of the first book right before he gets to the doors when he visits the Golgotha so I I don't know exactly what that means I don't know like what what is drawing all these animals to this cave if it is if the two things are linked but the sort of the way that it is described is very similar to the Golgotha. It's just inside a cave as opposed to like out on. I mean, it's been a long time since I've been able to like mix the Tommy knockers into anything. Yeah, let's do it. (laughs) Let's get them in. It's been a while. (laughs) I kind of, so um, I had, and this is just, I, because I love the Tommy knockers. I was just like, (laughs) Oh no, obviously like having to steal human energy to stay alive and like Mm. continue to grow. So like any animal energy that came in is like getting swallowed up by this. And I thought that was kind of like adjacent to what was going on. Like if they hadn't gotten the box closed in time, those guys all would have just been eaten and turned into, you know, they would have died and then eventually turned into skeletons. And and like that, that also kind of pointed to me at least how long this door has been there. That it's yeah, I thought the door was like new. Oh, I thought it like my, my understanding was that the cave's been named that for quite some time. So I assumed that the it door was the, had... it's the it's the they call it the doorway cave. But before that, it was the door of or the cave of voices. Oh, and they got like, yeah, and they got like some message. Remember, they get there's we didn't well, even talk oh, about we, this. we didn't even talk about the tape recorder, did we? No, they get oh, a shoot, tape so recorder that's saying go there you'll find a man a door and a wonder. Yeah, and the batteries. Okay, so this is something that like I don't know if it did it, it make it in your I 
So I apologize, guys. I was so excited to talk about just this section. But there's like we jump away, come back, jump away, come back to this a couple of times. And I just plowed right through it. It's all good because it's, it's all, all stuck together in my mind. But there's a backstory, too, that we find out when they're eating. And it's it's that um, they had explored somewhere else and, and they don't know what a tape recorder is. So they found this uh, space where like. Uh, it, there was words playing from a machine and he says, you know, like I, I moved, a I removed a box that was like, yay long from this mm-hmm. and like it had, you know, brown tape in it or, or whatever. And, uh, and then it, it finally dies and they take the batteries out or, or what we come to find out are batteries and they give them to Andy and Andy just kind of like shakes them around inside of them and then spoop, spits them back out and says, they're no good. <laughs> and like that, you can't do anything with them. And this tape this mysterious tape is what leads them to go to this cave to begin with. And and that's all super weird and like not explained. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing, right? Like the, what we do know is that somebody knew that Callahan was coming. Somebody knew not only that he was coming, but he was going to need help and left him, left them this message. And there's this interesting back and forth between Roland and Hincheck um, where, where Hincheck's like, well, maybe it was a god pretending to be a man. And he's like, no, no, no. <laughs> he's like, in my experience, gods leave sigouls and men, men leave, leave machines. machines. Yeah, yeah. That's Which a is great kind line. of an interesting kind of larger theme, I think, explored in these books, you know, especially when you think about you know, the great old ones and whatever cataclysm that they did when they were trying to play God with machinery and broke the world. Like, I think that the this all ties into a larger theme um, in these books, but in this moment also is very telling. And Roland kind of ties it back to the fact that they got those weird lunches at the beginning, at the end of the last book. Like, somebody is in here, like, you know, putting his thumb on the scale and helping things out. Yeah. Uh, so here's something just to mull around in your head. And okay. I'm glad we got back to this because that one line was something I like I thought about for a long time and forgot when I was in my uh, fever pitch to get to the other part. Mm-hmm. Um, so when they're walking through what would basically be the d- diseased, um, infected, the stand world, uh-huh. and we have Crimson King uh, um, notes written all over stuff and like uh, and then reflected in that other book is, you know, um, the survivors writing things all over the walls. Do you think that like points to the fact that Randall flag is a God? I mean, I think that, I think maybe and I should I say mean, the fact, because I think he's definitely it. a supernatural creature, but I don't know if I ever thought of him as a God, but like, what? how do you define a God? I guess any supernatural feature creature depending on the mythology could be a god what's that old saying like if technology gets advanced enough it appears to be magic or something like that yeah 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 but i don't yeah i guess so but that grow bag seemed pretty magical but then maybe (laughs) that's just my pea brain mind i don't know but something is obviously someone is doing something (laughs) 
<laughs> this is my very deep analysis, guys. This is what you came here for. I'm going to break it down for you. Someone is doing something. You're welcome. <laughs> Aren't you glad this podcast is free? <laughs> you didn't pay for that. Um, but but yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's interesting. I'm, I'm hoping we're going to get some more answers around that. I feel like we're building towards something because of the callback to the lunches. It feels like we're not we're, like I, that felt a little hand wavy in the moment. Mm. And I'm wondering if we're going to get answers. I don't remember, but I have hope. I don't, you know, to be honest with you, the tape recorder was like a completely new reveal to me that I know yeah. I knew. I mean, I right. learned at some point, but like it, it's sort of like Shardik's clearing where you think that was like a way longer thing than it yeah. was. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, you yeah. get to it and you're like, did this fucking happen? Is this, <laughs> this part of this? Cause I don't. I don't ever remember this being here. Yup, yup, yup. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else in this section. Well, we uh, need to jump back too and talk about Took Store because, like, yeah, we skipped right past. That. I was like, you must have nothing to say about that because we're just no, no, that by one's it. that one's great. It's just so I have Rachel. You know this when Stephen King does his continuity jumps and chapters. I have trouble tapping the brakes to get just yeah. part of the section done because it's like it's the part that always annoyed me about trying to watch uh, a show like what general hospital, I think where they like, you have to watch like seven shows <laughs> unfolding. Hospital. I think general is that was a thing, right? It is. It's just like of all the things I thought you were going to reference today. It was not. General <laughs> hospital. <laughs> so I'm not into soap operas, but like I've watched, like I, I got sucked into like one weird um season of general hospital where like <laughs> there was like 20 reveals and like someone had killed someone who was sleeping with someone's daughter's wife and that guy turned out to be on a cruise and he was really a robot and like it just whoa <laughs> yeah it's just like it was a wild ride and i was like you know what i'm i'm up for this for a minute let's see what this is about and so i watched like probably i don't know a season and a half of general hospital and just like in the middle with no context about like the last, I don't know, 20 years. So like a lot of the reveals didn't make any sense to me. They were just like wild. And the problem I had with that is like jumping around from plot to plot, to plot, to plot, like always screwed me up because I forget everything except for the one plot I'm really interested in. And yeah. then you were supposed to be paying attention to this other side story that was supposed to yeah. help you understand the main story. And I like, I screw it up. And th this is the same way when Stephen King starts going out of chronological order. I like my brain just wants to jump on that chronological track and ride it to the end and then back up and be like, okay, yeah, the section yeah. happened in the middle somewhere. Yeah. General <laughs> hospital. There you go. That's hilarious. I love you so much. <laughs> you freaking crack me up. That's a weird um, one. Okay. Uh, so back it up. Let's wait, talk about took can store. Can I talk about one more thing about yeah, up absolutely. here and then, then we can definitely go back and we can close it out on took store. Um, but I do want to talk a little bit about the voices that are coming out of the cave and okay. what he hears. So he hears his mother dying, yep. his father's disapproval, the man in black telling him that the tower is empty and then Cuthbert's death. Um, and so I, I wondered, like I was kind of trying to figure out what's happening here. And I think the easiest answer is that this cave is able to like pick parts, like the most painful things out of your mind and mirror them back to you. But I also wonder, it's like this cave of voices and then it's also where the door ended up, the mm -hmm. unfound door. Like it, is he actually just hearing things from the past and the future? 
I don't know. I just want to know if you had any theories about the voices and then. Uh, so black 13, it, as far as we're um, led to believe is like the evil. ultimate, not just ultimate evil, but also like the ultimate traveling thing. Right. Like, cause it, it they, it's sort of, it seems like they allude to at least that like part of uh, call hands travel and like, um, uh, uh, the possibility of like getting to New York to save the rose and stuff all kind of like tie in with this thing. And so to me, it sort of was like, that has opened up a, I mean, it's a dark cave and it was called the whispering cave before. So maybe I'm wrong or probably mm -hmm. am wrong. But like the part of me that wants to believe is that like somehow that like left a psychic imprint on the cave that just like allows it to float freely in time and like pull from your entire timeline front to back and vice versa in a mm -hmm. way that's like gets into the spoiler zone and I won't talk about it anymore. Okay, fair. <laughs> we'll move forward. All right, let's get back to Tooks, uh, Tooks a store. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay. So this is really fun. <laughs> it's completely out of context from the rest of this, but like we get this, like this picture of like a shitty store owner, <laughs> like yeah. a guy who's just a fucking prick, <laughs> <laughs> like not even just a little bit, like they get there and like always with them. You're like, you're not bringing that ragamuffin thing in here. That's gross. You know? <laughs> uh-huh and uh -huh. then and like people are like oh but he's cute and he's just like in his pocket you know like so they set oi aside and then they're like he's like i'm not gonna give you any freaking credits you can't have free stuff off of me that's just how i work and and like people are like about to be like oh yeah i guess that's true and he's like i wouldn't have it he, uh, uh eddie like pops in and like defends themselves he's like you know i wouldn't have you do that i have money and like yeah. He says it in a way that's a quote from someone else earlier in in conversations. And like everybody's like, yeah, here, here, you know, and like you can see like everybody in the store. Never stops. in life. That's what he oh, says. Oh, yeah. Never in life. And like this strikes a chord with the crowd and like the people in there, like obviously stop shopping and start just sort of like watching this this sort of like um, theater play out. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and like he's hounding him about like Jake goes to buy Roland some tobacco uh, Roland had asked Jake to also pick him up a shirt if he can and a few other things. And so um Took is like, I'm not not gonna sell a kid tobacco, you know, never have, never would. <laughs> and, and and like clearly knowing that it's not for Jake. And and Eddie's like, Well, you'd sell it to me, wouldn't you? <laughs> right. And right. like he's like surgeon and like it makes a reference to something that these guys wouldn't know about. Like the Surgeon General recommends, you know, and then like <laughs> <laughs> you'll sell it to me and so like took the whole time as just being a a dickhead He's very adversarial like he uh, i mean we knew that he like his store was a his family store was when it got burned down last time they pushed back on the mm -hmm. wolves um and so he is not gonna be down with whatever it is that the gunslingers are here to do and he's quite a bitter petty little man um yep. he crosses some lines and comes to regret it <laughs> well yeah so uh so, so he does he he like he dickers with them on everything that they're they're trying to purchase and like to to stephen king's credit and to our gang's credit they're like you know he's a store owner in a, like a western town like that's literally his job is to try and rip people off. <laughs> like that, that's okay i guess but then like 
he, he's like, uh, they were like, well, you know, we talk to people and see what they need around town. We might be here for a little while. We might not, you know, it just depends what people need. And Took's like, I'll tell you, Brownie, what, what you need. And like Susanna just grabs him by the thumb and like does it in such a casual, fast and like sort of nonchalant way that no one else but like really close people notice that she's got his thumb like twisted back and behind and like about ready to snap. And and he's like, oh, and Susanna's like, listen, you know, a crazy old man who's like half off his rocker can call me that. But you are not that man. <laughs> yes. You you do not refer to me as that. And he yeah. like, you know, he kind of like apologize mealy mouthy and like tries to oh weasel out oh i'm sorry i'm sorry and like Susanna like tops it off and i think we're gonna sit in front of your store for a while and hang out yeah this scene is very satisfying because we've had to kind of see her take a backseat role a little yep. bit like to your point earlier like she's playing kind of quiet and demure and reserved because of the cultural mores there and like how it would in those cases allow her to kind of hear overhear things and learn things it was strategic but at the same point she has not been able to really defend herself and has had to deal with like a little let's not so micro microaggressions let's just say yeah, yeah. um and so to finally get her seat put some little shit in his place who thinks that he can talk a bunch of shit to her oh it was so satisfying this is the Susanna that I love the like badass take no shit Susanna I this was great I've been dying for this and it was very satisfying to see it happen this whole scene is actually a ton of fun right because he's really trying to um be like I said be adversarial and make them uncomfortable and make them feel unwelcome but he is on an island by himself because at like right away when when Eddie says the thing about never in your life he hears like titters of agreement and appreciation um and as this goes on like everybody's watching and intrigued and like very much moving into like they're they are a spectacle of interest and not an unwelcome interloper you mm -hmm. know and it speaks to what roland tells them before they go in essentially that like when suzanne is like they're coming around to our side and he's like yeah they are they're not ready to say it yet but they are so we won't ask the question because the gunslinger never answers the ask the question unless he knows the answer. But it just reaffirms that yes, this is the direction it's going. And even Took at some point has to like read the room that mm -hmm. he is alone in this. Um, so yeah, and it, you kind of do get that feeling because like it, Stephen King like hints at the town folks like kind of muttering under their breath like Yeah, you, you did a great job singing the other day. Like, yeah, I really liked what you did there. Yeah, that was that was great too. And like. Took's like, but like he, he politeness requires that he not not do anything about it and like has to take the take the heat. Mm hmm. Uh huh. It's it's very, very satisfying scene. And, you know, like we see the town when they go out on the porch, we see the town kind of gathering and coming to talk to them. And I don't know, I was just thinking about how different it was kind of because there is sort of this like rhyme and this cycle to these things and like with the quartet of now and the quartet of then and i think about when they showed up in magus and like the first time that that quartet really interacted with the town it was so different mm -hmm. you know like there was they went to the sheriff's office and th they had the same kind of pushback and un unwelcome from one of the elites um but in this case they really were able to like like the town is not quite so suspicious of them. I don't know, just an interesting parallel.
I really liked this little section. Um, <laughs> it's not as like meaty as the other bits, but it was like yeah. a fun um, diatribe that you get to like see this little picture of the town and like uh, the general store. And like even the moment where he's like, and, it, and that little son of a bitch threw out one of my uh, my rubies, even though it looked just like the rest of them. And there was nothing wrong with it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing is Eddie's funny. He's funny and he's likable. And it's these scenes like really do kind of cut the tension and the like the overly seriousness of the I mean, which is great because, you know, I love all of that. But like to have him as sort of a foil to that and to be sort of the lighthearted comic relief, it just yeah, it it makes it a fun read but it ultimately adds stakes because it just makes you love these characters even more sometimes i wonder if like in the writing process if you're stephen king do you write the continuing thread in one chunk and then like go back and cut it to pieces and like just stick in other bits in between to like i don't know fill it out because like i know he doesn't do outlines i think he just sits down and writes like a certain number of words every day Oh, and so maybe that's how it gets chunked up. Yeah, like he's like whatever his muse tells him that day. Hmm. I don't know, man. I he he has a very very special mind. He's so freaking prolific; it blows my mind. As someone who struggles to get every single word on the page, I'm just like, how the hell do you do this shit? There's a famous uh, Amazon um, author who you know self published what have you, and and like she was a McDonald's employee and wrote her first book, and then just like started cranking out like six to eight books a year. <laughs> Wow. And then like just by sheer volume was able to like climb the Amazon charts because she had so many books attributed to her that like she's like, I make more now with my books than I do at McDonald's. So bye bye McDonald's. Yeah, man, maybe that's what I need to do. You need to be real (laughs) prolific. Yeah. Yeah. I just got to start just cranking out crap. And then maybe, you know, though, it's like writing is a muscle, right? So like maybe if I do enough of it, it'll start getting better. (laughs) Listen, Rachel, it's time to write your first adult novel. Adult novel. Now, see, we've had this conversation. Do <laughs> you throw, mean a, a throwback? Do you, okay. Do you mean a, a novel for adults or an adult? Oh, novel? for context, folks. Um, one of my friends wrote a, a book recently, and like I got the words out of order, realizing after the fact that they totally changed the meaning. I was like, yeah, my uh, uh, my friend Don wrote his first adult novel, and I meant like he wrote his first novel as an adult. <laughs> I was like, well, well, well. Everybody blushes in the room, like, looks at each other, like, tell me more. All right, DJ, what are your overall thoughts about this chapter? Did you enjoy it? Did you have a good time? As you can tell by my excitement and also my, like, tripping over myself to jump around and, like, go back and, like, try and pick up threads. And this was fun. Um, It was weird. And it's different than what we've gotten in like the last few sections is actually like quite a bit. Um, and the pace was interesting. And plus you just get thrown a lot of, uh, uh, weird facts and, and bits that are, are really cool. I almost, I'm excited to get to the next chapter because I feel like this is going to bloom into the actual action pretty soon. We're almost mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and this is like, we're on the cusp of it. We have a few more, things to discover and then we'll be like in the battle in the heat yeah i feel like we're getting into i mean we are because i have i i listen to the audiobook but i also have it like um like the 
you know, an oh, ebook. Oh, so you know of how it. many pages we have left? Well, I know that we're fifty-five percent of the way through the book. Oh, that's it. <laughs> so, no, what I'm saying though is, it's the back half now, right? Oh, like we, okay, all okay. the setup is coming together, and we're heading into the back half of this book, and it's got to have two climaxes, right? Because there has to be the battle with the wolves, and there has to be dealing with whatever is happening in New York. Yep. So, I think we are. I think you are correct. We are rapidly approaching action scenes. They are a coming. Yeah, y'all. Well, maybe it'll be next week. I don't know. Probably not because that's not what this chapter sounds like, but it sounds like it could still be very cool. So, <laughs> What about you, the- Rachel? Oh, right. What did I think? Yes, I, I really enjoyed this chapter as well. I thought, I mean, you know, I like all the weird mythology and world building. So all the stuff about the 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 cave of voices and the door and the the whoever this mysterious person is that's leaving messages, like all that stuff really works for me. Um, I also love character like dynamics and that also all that stuff with Roland and Jake while painful and frustrating. I'm very annoyed with Roland this episode, this chapter, I still think is fascinating. And I, you know, if they didn't always get along and make good choices, it wouldn't be that fun to, to try to like unpack and discuss. So I'm grateful for the tension, even though it makes me mad. Um, so yeah, I really enjoyed this chapter and I'm, I'm super excited to get into where it's going. Okay. So for those of you who are playing along, the plan for the next episode is we will be covering part two, telling tales, chapter nine, the priest tale concluded parentheses, parentheses unfound. So I guess we're going to find out how he got here. And probably more about the door. Ooh, the door. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So I don't have any Stephen King connections for this one. And I ran out of time and didn't look up news. So hopefully nothing broke. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But we did have a listener feedback and Facebook group question for the last episode and this is one that when i said it to you last time you're like this is easy so i've been dying oh, to know I what hope, it was. I hope it's still easy because that was a long time you'll ago. be fine you'll be fine which is we know that this this um mike flanagan adaptation is on its way which is so exciting he's in development on it right now i feel like he's the guy to get it done but we all have different ideas and things that we love about this franchise so my question to you and to everyone else was what absolutely needs to be in this adaptation for you to consider it to be a successful adaptation do you want to go first or do you want to hear what the listener said um shoot now i so this was easy when i was thinking about it previously because i had something like really specific in mind and now i'm like now now okay so back up for a second so this this uh um this adaptation is he planning to tackle the whole series uh in like he has the whole series, like he got the rights to the whole series from Stephen King. However, his plan is to just, like, first, just do the gunslinger. So I don't think, but like, you can answer it just the gunslinger, or you can answer it the whole series. I we got a mixture of answers from the listeners, so I will extend the same to you. You know, uh, um, maybe this is just my uh, love for that one really old uh, HBO series, Carnival. But like, I, I would love a, a side run with like the bird people. Oh, you want tahine? That's yeah, what I want. That's some freaking, the thing. I want some freaking tahine. Like, can we just have like a monster of the month one episode aside where it's just like following the tahine around and finding out all the weird stuff they're up to? 
and yeah. like and then cut back to Roland like massacring an entire town because you know that's I don't know that that just seems like a, a fun time to me. So that's what you would require for it to be a successful adaptation. I mean, no, that's just what I want. I okay, think, that's fair. That's fair. I think the successful adaptation you, you really need to be able to dig into the town Roland spends time in and like um the relationships and like you know the piano player and all of those people and like the weed driving them crazy and like rotting their brains and like ruining their bodies and like just the dramaticness of that whole thing like but that's see that one's such an easy one to do right that you would yeah. actually have to really you is there to, a specific detail or scene or character or anything like that you would absolutely need to see show up i mean no not really okay all right you are a, you're an easy customer you're gonna be happy with whatever i just want for... some tahine and you know you know that, that's i want some tahine in my life okay fair all right so in that case you loved the movie adaptation got it no 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 <laughs> that is not the case at all okay all right so sheldon answered and he said oi a believable oi is necessary for this to be a good adaptation and he is not wrong yeah if oi looks like jar jar binks like i imagined he did for the longest time <laughs> uh, that would probably over that would probably take you out of the books a bit yeah, 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 yeah. So Sheldon agrees. Um, he said totally his answer too. Uh, Andrew says good, faithful depictions of the main drawing sequences and the drawing of three. Mm. So yeah, uh, that is super important too. Like I want like especially Eddie's drawing. <laughs> I, I need to see is... him eating popkins. Like what did he call them? Tudor fish popkins on the plane. Like that's <laughs> that has to happen. Oh man, yeah. I, I, uh, hopefully this is on like HBO or something so they can have some male nudity. Yeah, right. Oh, you want to see the naked shootout? Yeah, if you're gonna do the drawing of the three, right, you almost have to have the naked I, shootout. You do. A, I agree. I, it's part of the thing. And not just because I'm like, oh, I want to see Flap and Peen. No, it's the it speaks to the character of Eddie that he's I mean, able you could to do, do that like naked. all all naked butts if you like planned it right and just like yeah. covered them up. So yeah, you, know, you don't have to have any wieners bouncing around if you don't want to. But like at least the like wiener or GTF. My partner's in the background just shaking his head. It's been over a decade you should know what you got yourself into here sir <laughs> okay so tim said tim has a more um substantial answer so give me a second here all right so he says having loved what he did with dr sleep i'm willing to give him a lot of rope to make it work as a screen adaptation so he's not being a purist about it i want it to be true to the spirit of the books while giving constant readers something new and thought-provoking oh so he actually would like to see some changes that's interesting like i yeah, I'll, I'll get into my answer at the end. Okay. What uh, I want to see the cinematic equivalent of the different levels of the tower and other Stephen King stories bleeding into this one. He recreated the film version of the Overlook beautifully. That's so true. And I think he could have a lot of fun with the Easter eggs. I want him to pull no punches. No Akiva goldsmithing the series into something that it's not. No watering down of the violence or subject matter. The devastating part should remain devastating. Toll, Jake's fall, the lobstrosities, etc. But there should be, there should still be humor. Go to, 
go to town on the fish out of water element when Roland is in our world. Bring on the Aston and the Tudor fish pumpkins. (laughs) We're on the same page, Tim. Uh, I'd also like to see him improve Susanna. King is often pretty terrible in writing non-evil women and particularly bad with women of color. Facts. Some of her dialogue in the books is pure cringe. Make something better out of the foundation that King laid. I agree 100% again. Um, I I also want to be I want it to be grand in scale and beautiful to look at. I mean, come on, that he's gonna make it that. That's a done deal. And I want him to complete the project. Finally, Eddie on the airplane should be done exactly as it is in the book. It's practically written for the screen already, and I think it could be made so well with Flanagan at the helm. My demands are many, but this series deserves it. And then Chris Dean said, most of this. <laughs> Which is such a great comment. Uh, Okay, Christopher says, there's very little that I can let slide with this. I'm usually fairly flexible with adaptations, but I think the movie burned me so bad that I need someone, and I trust Flanagan to do it, to make something that is as faithful as possible. Great casting across the board. A believable oi. I don't want changes for the sake of it. Changes should be made to make something better and work in the medium, not just for fun. I think that's fair. I think that's yeah. fair. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Let's see here. There's some back and forth about it. Um, I feel like, though, here. if you can't do oi correctly, you don't do oi. It's like if you have just this cheesy, crappy CG thing going on, like, what's the point? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Then they're, they're arguing kind of back and forth about whether or not Susanna is language should change and i think everybody's allowed to have their opinion but i am of the belief that one of one of uh flanagan's real strengths is something that places where you know king is no one's perfect right like writing dialogue for susanna is one of those places where you can feel sort of the limits of his incredible like singular talent Mm -hmm. um whereas i think mike flanagan who is like, I think he'll do a better job of writing some of the dialogue. So I am in full support. Like, I want plot beats, same. I'm okay with changes to dialogue. So I, I feel like that's a fair compromise. Um, okay, Brandon says, definitely would have to say prequel series of Roland's youth told in the same fashion as Wizard and Glass. Agree. Mm-hmm. Um, Gigi says, a non-linear timeline, to which I said, say more, because I didn't know what she meant. She said, I love how Flanagan does his storytelling so that the flashbacks line up to the aha moments. I feel like Doc, uh, Dark Tower definitely needs to keep others' attention, meaning non-book readers, because it also takes so long to get invested in the, the Stephen King storytelling style. The others need that pull. Okay, I see what she's saying. Like, that feels like a longevity thing where she's like, we need to make sure that the normies can get into this so that we get the whole thing. And that I support. Have I told you about General Hospital? Oh, my God. <laughs> You know what? You're actually, you and Gigi are on the same page. You use different (laughs) ways of describing it, but you're in the same place. And finally, Ryan says the producers must embrace the insanity of the story. Magic doors, dragon trains, Dr. I don't want to say that out loud because I don't want to spoil something for someone else in the room. Wear spider, violence, drug use, sexual assaults, racism. Do it all and get effing crazy or don't bother. So, yes. So, it's very clear that people have very passionate ideas. It seems like what they want, if you really look at all of these things in their totality, is someone that understands the material and is reverent about it and is able to translate this thing that we've all had in our heads to the screen. And I have faith 
I mean, obviously not everything's going to be exactly how we picture it, but I, I feel like what they're describing is Mike Flanagan. So I feel pretty confident that the, this is going to be, if not perfect, like definitely something that um, people are going to like. I always thought that you could do, like if you didn't have the budget to do the Dark Tower series as is, if you could pick one character that like, is not the main three, but sort of in and out of being around during a lot of the um, the events and just have it be like his perspective mm-hmm. <laughs> of the chaos and stuff that's going around. Um, that would be like a very easy way to do a very good, but short and easy to swallow uh, consumer product. Yeah. And, and it would have been... So this is a little maybe silly on my part, but what if you did it from the perspective of uh, Randall Flagger, the man in black, instead of from Roland and the gang? <laughs> like, mm. wouldn't that be like a fun, weird, wild ride to be like, this is why I brought you sandwiches, buddy. <laughs> and Like, here's the note mm. I left and here's the thing I did that did this thing. And like, here's me in the background in this one moment and like dropping off this guy. And, you know, <laughs> just like so many cool things you could unravel but also like get the inside scoop on stuff that we just basically will never know what happened with mm-hmm. i mean i could see this show if it's popular a lot of times they'll do like short web series around them like like um when i think about walking dead had stuff like that i feel like game of thrones maybe had something like that i could see there being a web series like a web series like you know, like the Star Wars, like different point of view. Mm-hmm. Like I would love something like that from the Dark Tower, actually, like a different point of view, like short web series. That's just the story, like the story so far from Randall Flagg's perspective. Would yeah, be wouldn't that be crazy? Rad, uh, rad, 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 rad. Or like even uh, what was the name of the like? the piano player that showed oh, yeah, up Shem? and done yes Shem. like what if we got a different point of view but like Chev's story that would be amazing. like after the town was murdered i had to walk away yes i mean and it also you know Join what i the really Tahin. want is a different point of view but sheeny oh yeah 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 that would be so good okay so for my adaptation thing now this I don't know if I would say I'm going to break my own rule. I, I don't know that this has to happen for it to be a success, but, but for this to be like my ultimate dream adaptation, it would be for what we were promised with the movie and that it was the last time around. So that it was an opportunity to get a different, let's say a different kind of closure at the end of the series. <laughs> um, I want to I see Roland open this on when he is on the you know when we first see him and he's following the man in black across the desert i want to see a certain item on his on his person that's what i really want to see that will make that will make my head explode if that's how the the show opens with him just like in the book but with one item with him Hmm. yeah yeah i mean i I see what you're doing, but like that still is like a whole new thing to see what that does. Well, I think it would, you could almost entirely adapt it just how it is, just with a few little tweaky tweaks at the end. Like, why does that matter? Like, what would that impact towards the end? Like, what if he had it? What would be, what would be different 
in the like sort of the messier ending stuff, right? Mm-hmm. I think that would be a great way. Like if if he faithfully Doing a good adapted job of talking and, around spoilers. Yes, but like if he faithfully like I'm sorry, but like who wouldn't love this? Like new people and faithful readers, like a faithful adaptation of. 90% of the story, but giving us a slightly different ending that we, the one that we've all been imagining mm-hmm. for a, t- a decade or two decades or however long it is that you've been reading this series. You've been imagining an ending and then maybe even a slightly different ending. And what if it gave you all the things you wanted from that adaptation plus the thing that the books never gave you? That would be amazing. There's one nerd out there just screaming like, but it's not true to form. Yo, I'm sure. I'm sure. <clears throat> I, I would not be surprised if I get some emails about my controversial take here. But I <laughs> listen, I am a woman of my convictions and I stand by it. I said what I said. I want the item to be on his person. Okay. So that is it for this week's question. I don't have a new one lined up quite yet. So I will drop that in the the Facebook um in the lead up to the next episode so Mm -hmm. stay tuned for that i may also put it in patreon in case there are some patrons that are not on our facebook group don't want them to miss out um but we will have a question for you for the next show because this one was so much fun it was so fun to see everybody get excited and passionate about it because you know it's just a reminder of the what brings us all here right how much we just absolutely love these books even dj loves these books okay (laughs) (laughs) seriously folks i'm here uh you know for every episode so i I definitely care you definitely care you you're just like you yeah i like i said i think we're in a place where we're being more critical about it because we're like talking about it on a granular level and that's like what are we going to just be like and then that part was cool and then that part was no analysis means also pointing out the places that you know everybody loves dinner but you can't love every dinner you ever have Exactly. Oh my god, I had an amazing dinner last night. <laughs> well, I had fajitas, and then they—it was like I didn't realize they had like a special taco Tuesday menu there, and they had like fresh made elote. I don't even wow. know what that is, but uh, it's the it's um, the corn on the cob with the tahine and the with like, the sauce. tahine. Yeah, with the tahine. Wait, like, spelled differently, but it is oh, tahine. Okay, okay. <laughs> it's T A J I N instead of T A H E E N. Oh, okay. Huh. Yeah, I've had roasted corn before, but I didn't know it was special. Oh, a lote. Mm, delicious. Anyway, moving on. For those of you at home, uh, if you still want to answer this question, we're still taking those answers. You can always email us at castofcaw at zombiegirls.com. Or if you just want to, you know, send us an email with your thoughts, your praise, your criticism, whatever. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, you can also hit us up or DM us through the Facebook group, Cast of Call Podcast Facebook group. We'd love to see you there. Um, hang out. Talk, talk about Cast of Call or talk about uh, Dark Tower. We love that. We never get tired of that. Um, yeah, definitely do that. If you want to support us, there's a couple of ways you can do that. You can leave us a review or rate us wherever it is that you're getting your podcast, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audible, all the platforms were there. Let people know that we exist and that you enjoy us by leaving us a review. Uh, if you want to wear some of our sweet, sweet merch, it is available to purchase at zombiegirls.com forward slash merch. Or you can support us by joining our Patreon where you get extended episodes, bonus episodes. You get to hang out on the Discord with us. Um, I know it's it's really fun. We're there all day talking, hanging out. We'd love to have you. Um, and I said bonus episodes, right? Yes, I did. Um 
I don't know why my brain is so tired tonight. Um, and then if you're looking for something spooky to watch tonight because you like horror movies as well as The Dark Tower, you can check out our video on demand and streaming calendar. We keep track of all the spooky doings that are happening on all the various streaming platforms and video on demand. And um, yeah, that's it. Unless people want some more of you in their life, DJ, where else can they find you on the internet? I mean, uh... <laughs> Uh, out, outpost unknown is that what we're called now yeah that's hey, i us. remembered it this time you did you did occasionally you see me on a, a couple of those episodes i i jump in once in a while um otherwise you know i'm uh, pretty lame on the internet right now uh, you know if you like reviews of restaurants and stuff in portland um i have over nine million uh views of my reviews so you Ooh. can go check those out uh Otherwise, I'm here with the zombie girls occasionally for a special occasion and for the cast of Ka. And that's pretty much it. Rachel, what about you? Uh, yeah, I mean, you can find me lots of places on the Internet. I don't have any reviews that you. Well, that's not true. I don't have any restaurant reviews. If you want to read movie reviews, you can could, you could Google me and find me there. Um, but if you want to hear more of my podcasting content, you can find me on all the shows across the Zombie Girls podcast network. That's Zombie Girls, Stream Queens, Cast Ka. Uh, Untitled Nick Cage show, which will be back this month. We took a little bit of a break, but we're back uh, reviewing the unbearable weight of uh, unbearable weight of something talent. Oh, yeah, yeah. The new Nick Cage movie. I'm I'm actually like that one's on my list to watch. I just have like you. It is. You will like it. It is like the most heartwarming movie I saw all of last year. Well, maybe everything everywhere all at once was more heartwarming. But like, no, it's really nice and funny. Yeah, it's really, really good. I wasn't sure if I knew enough it. about Nick Cage you to do. like enjoy all of the inside Nick Cage jokes. It's not the deep cuts. It's like, have you seen Face Off? Like, yes, you yes, be, you're going to be fine. <laughs> like, there's going to be references to like his action. It's like his 90s action movie era is like really where all the references I, are. I didn't know about all the castles and stuff. <laughs> Oh, yeah, you don't know about it. You don't need to know about it. You'll be fine. Yeah, you'll be good. Um, And it's very cute and funny. But um, so, yeah, so there's that. You can find me on Outpost Unknown. We, the Steve cast is going strong. We just reviewed Don't F in the Woods. I don't know if that episode's going to go out. Uh Ever disliked a movie more. (laughs) It was it was a bloodbath. Um, And yeah, that's kind of it for my plugs for this episode. Uh, but we hope you enjoyed it. DJ, unless people are sticking around for the extended episode, why don't you go ahead and take us out? All right. Close your eyes. Now imagine the worst thing that you've ever seen, done, or heard, and don't let that haunt you for the rest of your life. Good night. (laughs) (laughs) Bye, everybody. Why don't you do me like that? Damn. Damn. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and to my co-host, DJ, for making me laugh and for indulging all of my tinfoil hat conspiracies. Production on this episode was done by yours truly. Our theme song for the show was created by DJ. DJ.